I think mm. I think the title of this book like gets people interested. Yeah. <laughs> they just like uh-huh. they see it and they're like, oh, I want to know about that. So I was I had like maybe a dozen people being like, I just saved that countdown. I'm like, oh, wow. Normally you get like maybe one. <laughs> <laughs> It's a spicy one, that's for sure. It's a spicy one. It's gonna be good. But mm-hmm. I want I wanna hear how's art been treating you lately? Have things been good? Mm, not too bad. That's good. Um I've been paying here and there, just coming up with some new ideas and the usual. Being a full time artist is not easy and I'm probably gonna have to take a side job. Mm-hmm. So I've been applying for jobs as well. So yeah. Oh, nice. Any anything that sounds interesting. That's a part-time job that you're just like da- just data entry cuz I can do it remotely love it. from anywhere. So love it. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I've been um preparing for I've got a show coming up. I'm hanging it on Wednesday. It's at a restaurant which I haven't showed at before. So this will be a new experience. They're mm-hmm. like, "We want art for our walls." And I'm like, "I can give you that." I'm like, "Do you sell work at all?" And they're like, "We usually sell art that's like under $200 is usually the kind of art that sells. And then I was like, okay, mm. okay, I can do that. And then they were like, but we want your most expensive shiny pieces. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can hold my art hostage for a few months. I guess that's fine. <laughs> if it sells, I'll be like amazed and outstanding. Yeah. Well, shall we get started? I'm going to put our game face on and then we will start the book club. Friends and foes. Welcome to Freshwork Podcast. My name is Stephanie Scott. Today I have Visual Nomad here with me and we're talking about um, Art Book Club. I Wait, I did that in the wrong order. Normally I'm like on it today, but fairly unpracticed. Hold on, hold on. We gotta, we gotta try one more time. <laughs> this is what live podcasting is like. You just repeat the same phrases over and over again. And then you're like, at some point when I'm editing, I'll be happy that I uh-huh. repeated things. You clip out what you want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great. And it's super. Let's try this again. Friends and foes, welcome to Brushwork Podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My name is Stephanie Scott. Today on the podcast, I have Visual Nomad because today is Art Book Club. And today on Art Book Club, we have Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists by Linda Nochlin. This book, which is really an essay, is itty bitty. It's very cute. It's mm-hmm. like 150 pages um, when you include the edition that's been ad- added on since this essay first came out. This essay came out in uh, the 1970s. Then there was an update to it 30 years later called 30 Years Later. Um, this was in 2006, I believe. And it has an additional, more contemporary look on um, on the subject by Linda herself. Um, this book is... I-, I loved this book. Just straight out of the gate. I loved this book. I loved this little essay. We've we've heard about this book several times in our, like... I don't know, in other books that we've read. People have referenced this. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know what we gotta do? We gotta, we gotta go to the source. <laughs> we gotta... <laughs> we gotta... Yeah, we gotta read this. We gotta read the essay. If it's coming up this many times, so... That's what we've done this month in January, and we've read this book. Um, first thoughts, what did you think of it? Uh, um, I think it's great. Um, at first, when I dug in, it got me stirred up, because they kind of started to come from this space of, well, 
if they're no great women artists, then there never were, because if there were, we would have heard about them. And I'm like, hold on. Like they just like, they start like really condescending to the feminist movement to kind of get people pulled in. And then they turn it on its head. And I think they do a great job of, you got to like repeatedly ask yourself that question to dig deeper. When you get to one level, you go, but why are women, why have there been no great women artists? And as you continue to dig deeper and deeper and deeper, you start to see it kind of unravel in society, how things have been structured Mm -hmm. to uh, leave women at a disadvantage in some shape or form and not, and not just women. Like, I think that's one of the great things about this piece is they're like, this applies to several people groups, not just women. Oh, there was a great, you know. there was a great metaphor. It was like, um, why have there been no great Eskimo tennis players? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. <laughs> crack up when I was reading it. I'm like, yeah, I feel like that just that statement alone is a, is a huge uh, portion of this essay of, it's of opportunity, mm-hmm. but also of your, your surroundings. This, this book well, was, you were yeah. you were talking about you were talking about you know why haven't there been any great Eskimo tennis players or why haven't there been X Y and Z mm-hmm. and when you look at it you're like well of course there haven't been like who plays tennis in the North Pole like come on or in Alaska <laughs> like it's snowy like of course they don't mm-hmm. you know uh, short of cool runnings which is a whole anomaly in and of itself but that's a whole different story yes um. But yeah, like, I, I think it's great when they juxtapose those things to kind of open that question up of, you know, is it just because there never were any? Or is it because of the environment that has surrounded those people groups? Mm-hmm. Um, and the acceptance of society of those structures and those systems that have been put in place. It's true. It's it's both opportunity, it's the structures, it's the the history, <laughs> and it's it's what people want moving forward versus what is oppressed upon them to have, <laughs> which I guess is the same mm-hmm. thing as saying structures. But in in this in this essay, towards the beginning, she she stopped starts talking about how even saying the sentence why have there been no great women artists how even saying that allows for those restrictions to kind of fall off of of the problem having having the openness to even think about the question why have there been no great women artists and we're still talking about the first part of the essay which was um let out in the in 1970 so keep that in mind (laughs) um yeah it's I don't know. It, it kind of it creates like a chain reaction when you think about this question: Why have there been no great women artists? It it creates a reaction of change with within each individual, but also when people start pushing for, you know, ways to make women artists let them actually have greatness. It it changes. I don't know the embracement of like a history. It changes the challenges. It changes um, the meaningful questions of the time and around around where you are it's 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 so it's so impactful that i think it's kind of fun to read an an essay that was written in the 70s and to see how it changed things 
at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about how this this essay was referenced in so many books we've read. And those books have been from the 80s and 90s, the early 2000s, etc. And people, they think about it and they they make decisions based off of it. And things are a lot better for quote-unquote women artists at this point. <laughs> and I don't know. That's kind of cool that the single essay has done all of that and more. I think the 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 main crux of that first part is that she goes, okay, so this aside, there's no tennis players in, that are Eskimos. Mm-hmm. She's like, so why are, again, why are there no great women artists? Well, let's look at society in different time periods. Um, what I thought was really funny is she breaks down uh, the mythology, quote unquote, around male artists from past times Mm -hmm. you know van gogh was this beleaguered artist that you know was as he was going crazy was painting hundreds of you know sunflowers and he just magically knew how to paint and it just came out of him you know it's this well they already had this talent ahead of time and then they met their their teeth the last book that we read specifically Michelangelo. Yep. She, she brings it up and says, you know, the story behind it is that his teacher went away on a hiatus, came back and his teacher said, he's greater than me. Well, how true is that story? Really? Like <laughs> it's not folks, we practiced. <laughs> mar- mar- yeah. Marketing has been around for, eons Mm -hmm. in several forms and fashions that is a form of marketing they want this romanticized concept of genius this downtrodden artist that has overcome this mountain of you know hardship to become this great heroic person of which some are horribly ghastly human beings Gogon being one of them let's get to that one he is a monster like oh he went to this tropical place and painted all these beautiful women Gogon died of syphilis because he tried to sexually abuse half of those women that he painted he took several wives he was just a womanizing human being and it's awful He's a hell of a painter. He's a trash human being, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> um, you know, there there is this, uh, as I dig into more male artists, especially like that time with Gauguin, Van Gogh, Toulouse-Lautrec, that whole era, there is this misogynistic womanizing piece of these men that is glorified oh he's a ladies man you know he would he would meet these young ladies in in the tavern and he would bring them back to his place and in the soft light of his lantern he would paint these beautiful women you know like really dude really (laughs) like come on come on and 
yeah and like and he had to he had to live in this like poverty ridden life in order to be a qualified great artist um i think damien hurst would argue that point and say um no i appreciate the millions and billions of dollars that i've made off my art Mm -hmm. i'm fine being rich Welcome to my 40,000 square foot studio that is five stories. <laughs> Come hang out. We have a shop downstairs with a coffee shop. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's it's wild as she digs into some of this and she starts talking about class. Like, why have there been no aristocratic people that... Well, that's a big one, yeah. Um, yeah, that have become famous painters. Like, if you think about it, there are less than a handful that I can think of that were ever truly, like, wealthy, and they decided to paint. Um, and it's because of the social pressures that were put on them. They had meetings that they had to attend. They were supposed to socialize. Um, again, you know, back then they had, um, you know, nobility had to try to court other nobility to instill the power or ensure the power would continue in their family and the wealth would continue in their family. So they had a lot of, um, it's a lot of social responsibility and it was a lot yeah. of, uh, just yeah. lack of time to actually devote to being yeah. an artist. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there was no women artists, but there was also no aristocratic artists, which is that were like right. truly remarkable. And there was, can, can we backtrack a little bit to, to like the idea of, of genius? Cause she talks about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She yeah, talks yeah, about yeah. how, oh, it's just magical. And you said it was marketing and it is marketing. It is the best kind of marketing mm-hmm. where it's like, oh no, they just sprung fully <laughs> formed from the, the brow and... <laughs> And we're, they were amazing, incredible artists, but there, there is no such thing as genius. And the more we read mm-hmm. about these artists and the, read these art books, the more I'm like, absolutely. There's just, it just doesn't exist. I think people have, um, like skill sets that lead you to certain things better than others, but I don't think there's anything sure. like genius. And when someone says that someone has genius, you have to look at where, what is their background? A huge part of this book is talks right. about how people's families especially parental male parental figures are the ones that have cultivated any kind of greatness in women in history at all um if you look at rosa bonheur if you looked at mary cassatt with her friendship again another male figure in her life who have like cultivated their their artistic identity and their greatness from a very young age or even an impressionable age (laughs) and it's just Mm -hmm. like oh they were surrounded by people who allowed them to make and who had paved the way for them to actually have some recognition in history and that is that's remarkable that's that is Mm -hmm. where any kind of greatness can come from i feel like i have sure it personally was able to make art my living because of my family right because people who were like Mm -hmm. you should make art and you should pursue that. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. And it was my teachers growing up and blah, blah, blah. And when you when you go back to, you know, several hundred years and you're just like, oh, you, wow, that is even more rare then to have that sort of thing happen for you where you're just like, 
cultivated into becoming a great artist. And then, you know, the marketing is so good. I'm like, wow, should I change my marketing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they like, they kind of just like glaze over that issue. Like, it's not like they don't say it, but they glaze over it. It's yeah. like, let's give it a sentence. Oh, and his father was a painter also. Oh, well. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Picasso's father was a professor. He saw the talent in his son mm -hmm. and the fact that Picasso would not sit still. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, if this is what he wants to do, I'll just foster it. Like, right. give him something to do. His father just happened to be extremely equipped to be able to teach his son how to do art because that's what he did for a living. Yeah. Like, it's, again, it's that whole family tradition passed down apprenticeship concept that has been accepted by society forever like you inherit the family business this was part of some families businesses mm -hmm. one of their parents was an artist you know mm -hmm. um and so we have to look at that as well like the reason why some of this happened the way it did was okay if they're the firstborn father wants to pass his knowledge down to his son if his son is the firstborn of course that's who's going to learn the majority of what's going on mm -hmm. if they have another son he's probably not going to get the same treatment he'll still get more than what a sister would because she's probably going to be expected to learn the the female side of the family things you know washing clothes cleaning cooking whatever it entails paying bills going to market that yeah. kind of thing mm -hmm. um things had been separated you know and and so, yeah, a lot of it just comes down to, again, society has pigeonholed people into certain positions and it has made it extremely difficult. Even some of society's, um, their beliefs that they've held strongly have directly affected the development of female artists. The fact that female artists were not able to paint nude um, models yeah. for the longest time, you know, but men were openly allowed to paint naked women and men. Like it was not a big deal. And it's like, and part of the development that was so key to becoming a famous artist or becoming a great um, studied and practiced artist was that, that, for that figure study that you would do towards the end of your your classes and stuff um because you would go from there to like you would go from like plaster forms and that mm -hmm. or from human forms into going to a museum or wherever art was you know posted and you were to paint three-dimensional models that were in front of you, the sculptures and that kind of thing, which women were not, they did not have access to. They they just did not have access to that at it's all. It's true. And how unfortunate. I mean, they, they ended up having to paint cows. Like, that was the first thing they were ever really able to paint, quote-unquote, nude and get musculature and that kind of thing um, from a the great, subject. So There's a great picture in in this book of a cow in a figure drawing classroom um surrounded by <laughs> women in beautiful dresses 
practicing drawing them. Yeah. And I, I feel like all the images in this book really do attest to um, overcoming being an artist at all, mm-hmm. let alone being great. And <laughs> right. it's, right. it's, it's good. Yeah. Women weren't allowed to do any kind of figurative drawing of a nude figure um, at all, not even of their same sex. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Years and years and years down the line, they were, they were granted smaller and smaller allowances where it's like, okay, you can draw a figure, but they must be fully closed. Like, you won't be able to see the figure, but you can <laughs> fully close to partially draped was a rule in one of them. And it talks about this in, in this essay. There's little chapters in this essay. We've gone through several of them already about genius, about going through the nude, about... Um, parentage (laughs) and Mm -hmm. now we should talk about accomplishment and how Mm -hmm. and and the idea of hobby so there is i feel like there's still such a great weight on on making art especially when it comes to women making art and that most people think oh you go for you think about art as a hobby first before you think of it as a profession or a lifelong um. Uh, yeah, profession, a, a lifelong just like mastery to to overcome. That's what I was going for, a mastery. And mm-hmm. even if you were clever, even if you practiced a lot, if you were a woman, you are doing this as a hobby, and therefore it is not as great just on principle. And that's right. That's right. such a that's such a tough thing to overcome. And even in our modern day, I feel like. A lot of artists don't call themselves artists because they're like, no, I'm a hobbyist. I don't, I don't have that next level of greatness or mastery. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, it gets, it gets frustrating because people think about art as like, oh, we're no, we're dabbling in art. We're, we're just, we're just messing around. We're not actually creating something that has value. And then you think about your work as something that doesn't have value. And it's just, it's, it's. It's fascinating. I don't know. What are your thoughts on? I, I mean, well, I don't think there's I think, anything wrong. With I, I mean, I think, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like what you are saying, like I think that um, imposter syndrome plays into that as well. Like we're told that we're supposed to, uh, like marginalize ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and not think high, be humble quote unquote about our skills mm-hmm. um, even though we have like worked extremely hard to get where we're at we've put in thousands of hours to get where we're at um and learn what we've learned um you know i think that uh, and again it, it it falls back to again that whole idea of women are to be seen and not heard mm-hmm. um and yeah, I, I just, I think it's it's easy for society to just slide women into that slot because they've created that structure. And she talks about that earlier on in the piece. You know, those it, it's just easy because that's, quote unquote, the natural progression of things, you know, um, because we haven't taken the time to ask ourselves this question and really dig into it and ask why. It's not this, I'm screaming from the top of my lungs to be obnoxious and annoying. It's, 
let's have a, a concerted conversation about this. Um, let's dig into why I feel the way I do about it and why you feel the way you do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, is it just because of a, a nature versus nurture thing, you know, um, or is there, you know, some legitimacy to either side, you know, depending on what position you're taking? Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's hard. Like, even now, even with the progressiveness that we've had in our society, as far as females taking positions of high, high optics, in our society, mm-hmm. I, I still think that we struggle with this. We still have this, um, this concept of like, we have to be this wilting flower, you know? <laughs> oh, um, wilting flowers. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I think about the concept of people saying, um, you need to smile more, you know, if you ask yourself, how many times have you seen a man have that said to him and compared to the times <laughs> that women have had that said to them? Oh, agreeability. Like, we're supposed to, <laughs> yeah. Like we're supposed to, yeah, we're supposed to be agreeable. At all times, no matter how we feel about what's going on around us, we're supposed to have a smile on our face and we're just supposed to go about our day like nothing ever happened. And do you remember those posters? Yeah. It, yeah. Those, like movie posters that someone had like altered <laughs> to where yeah. all the men were smiling on the cover and it was very funny. And <laughs> yeah, that's an aside. I feel like. Oh, we were on the precipice of something really interesting a couple of minutes ago, and I want to I want to go back to it. There's okay. You you talked about imposter syndrome, and my brain was like, oh, I want I want to read more about imposter syndrome in the history of <laughs> of trying to go for anything great and wh- how we mm. we accomplish that and how we shy away from it. And I. I feel like I I personally don't have a lot of imposter syndrome because I've beaten down that dark demon as much as I could. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, um, I'm absolutely not perfect in that way. But I I feel like when people have imposter syndrome and it prohibits them from making artwork of of any kind of any kind of gender you are, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. it's because something seems so. On a, on a pedestal above you or something that's like you really want, but you're like, I have, I can see no way of achieving that. And all I do is this meeker little thing that, that is, you know, my, my doodles on a sketchbook or whatever it is. That's an example. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you see, you know, maybe a great, a tr- like a great charcoal drawing. I'm not, I'm going to go with drawing as my example here. And you, yep. you're like, Oh, I, I don't think I could ever do that. Or you're like, I want to do that so badly. And, that person has already done it. So why should I do it? And, you know, nothing new under the sun, et cetera. But it's, I feel like we have so much, we have so much pressure trying to be great in our day-to-day life. We have so much pressure trying Mm -hmm. to be, trying to be a great women artist, you and I. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's like, 
Oh, the point is there. Hold on. I have to keep thinking about this. It's like, I'm just going to keep spouting words until this thought comes out. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like... I'm following. You're Go following. Ahead. It's... <laughs> it's... Do we have imposter syndrome because of all of these other shenanigans on top of our creation that have come from hundreds of years of history of being oppressed to not make art that now when we finally have opportunities to do it, we feel like we're going to get beaten down for it. Is that why we have imposter syndrome? Um, maybe, I, I would, don't know. I would posit that the answer is yes to that. I mean, that's what I'm thinking in the back of my head is that whole concept of we're supposed to be diminutive as women, like society expects us to be that way. Mm -hmm. And imposter syndrome feeds into that. Mm -hmm. Like if you do something extremely well and you start to get visibility and praise for that, mm -hmm. you're no longer diminutive. Mm -hmm. You're, ex you're extraordinary, you know? Um, and as women, we have this programming that has been passed down to us by our fathers and mothers and, you know, other family members, um, like you said, that has been perpetuated for centuries, you know. Um, I, I definitely think that I would find it hard. I have not heard of a great male painter that has ever had an issue with imposter syndrome. They've always been extremely full of themselves and self-confident. Um, at least it's Martin and Hurst as one of them, you yeah. know, like <laughs> Picasso, exactly the same thing. Story goes around that he had to pay for a meal. He didn't have any money. He signed a napkin and said, this should be enough to pay for the meal. I really hope that's like, true. What? That's hysterical. <laughs> so, like, so like what? Like, <laughs> how, how can you be that brazen and full of yourself to think that you could do that? Like. I, I would hope that my friends would smack me if I got to that point. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to be an enabler and be like, you should sell your signature on a napkin for dinner. That sounds Oh, great. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I have no problem selling my signature, but to like be that bold and yeah. be like, yeah. well, I'm great. Like, I don't know that I would speak to, of myself in that tone. I would say, you know, I've accomplished a lot, of course. It's you a know? different... Um, it's a different, like, ancestral genetic heritage there of, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's different sure. in so many ways where it's, like, even just by being born woman, you are, you are so different. And that sure. kind of, um, that kind of, like, audacity is rare. And then on the flip side, mm -hmm. it's unfair when women have it and then they get called, you know, skeeving and rude and... They get called Ugly. bitches. Like, let's be real. Like, they get called a bitch. Yeah. Because <laughs> if a, if a, like, so there's a story that I heard about the singer Martina McBride. Mm -hmm. If anybody knows anything about Martina McBride beyond her music, it is that she is extremely driven and extremely particular about her performances. Great. Um, she has been called. A bitch several times. Yeah. Several times. 
because people view that it's too forward. Like she is, you know, overstepping her quote unquote bounds. Mm-hmm. Well, she is the boss. Mm-hmm. This is her business and she is allowed to expect certain things to happen in her business. If a male did that, they'd be like, oh, he's just being the big man. You know, let's pat him on the back. He's a tough guy. He he runs a tight ship, you know, like yeah. what? Yeah. Sometimes I think about uh, Taylor Swift's music video, The Man. Yep. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I get it in a way that is, I'm like, even though this woman has so much money and so much success and so much things, it would have been easier if she was a man. She would have been further mm-hmm. even now than she is. And it's wild. Like, even someone who has mm-hmm. that much in- just incredible tenacity and success and ability to overcome things that have happened, those things wouldn't have happened to her if she was masculine. And isn't that so obnoxious? And Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah. I want to state here also that I think gender is a concept. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it can yeah. be. I think it should be. I, I think it yeah. very easily can be, um, because I think that people on all sides of the spectrum are capable of doing all different kinds of things mm-hmm. very well, equally yeah. as well. Yeah, depending on who they are, you know. We can point out several situations, you know, where it may be an anomaly, but they're able to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. It's true. Um, Yeah, towards the end of the essay, Nochlin um, talks about, I feel like I'm saying her last name wrong because it's French, but uh, Rosa Bonheur, who is the great animal painter of her time. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever read any books about her? Mm-mm, I haven't. She's fascinating, and I might actually pull a biography that I have read in the past, but would love a reread of um, for book club in the future. She is... In this, in this essay, um, Linda talks about her, and she's like, she has all the, you know, typical struggles of her sex, but also she is... A great painter and her father was a painter and she learned from him and then she went to school and she had her partner who she Rosa was absolutely a lesbian but in this first essay she's like I don't think she was gay it was platonic but no it was not platonic <laughs> this was like her life partner <laughs> um, and like Rosa had to apply to get a license to wear men's clothing so she wouldn't be harassed when she went to the different horse fairs and animal fairs around to, Mm. to paint Mm -hmm. and to draw and that the basics of, you know, her femininity really hindered her in her art. And I think she's just an interesting figure to learn about. If you, if you like any kind of realistic painting and you like animals and you don't know about Rosa Bonheur, you should look her up because she makes some of the most amazing paintings I've ever seen in my life. Um, And (laughs) they're, (laughs) they're so, they're so good, but it's, it's a, uh, I don't, I don't know where I was gonna, where I was gonna go with that. She's, she's interesting because she's an unfeminine, feminine person, and I think she rose to great publicity because she rejected a lot of her own femininity in order to get there. And I think that here's mm-hmm. what I want. I think that's a little bit of a shame that, in order to reject 
in order to get somewhere, rejecting your own femininity mm. was such a a big step you had to take in order to find a sort of greatness. Mm. And I feel like now in, you know, our year of 2024, um, that's no longer the case. You can, in fact, having a high femme concept to to who you are as a person is you can still become a great artist now. And she does talk about that. Linda talks about that in her 30 year update, how it's, um, it's easier to be a great artist and it's much easier to great, have great publicity. And there are great women artists now, um, and have been for the last, you know, 30 years or so there's, you know, Judy Chicago and so many, so many great people, but in the time where in order to become great, you had to reject femininity. That's upsetting. Mm -hmm. It's upsetting to hear and it's upsetting to see the patterns of in history. I don't know. Well, and, and I would argue that it's still a current issue. So let's take, uh, Tracy Emin, for instance. I don't know her, but okay. Um, Okay. Tracy Emin is part of the, um, YBAs. She's part of that group with Damien. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. um, Jenny Savile. Okay. So Tracy is the misfit wild child of that group. Um, She's from Margate, which means she is... It's like Jersey Shore. Let's put it that way. She is the British version of a Jersey girl. Okay. (laughs) Um, For all intents and purposes, that's how she grew up. When she came onto the scene, she was very rough. Um, I would liken her to Joan Jett of the painter world. I hear you. She was very rough. Um, She's she's most noted for having a interview on Channel Four or a roundtable discussion with a group of men, and she was the only female. Uh, it was after they had given the Turner Award, they had this meeting and they sat down and they talked about the Turner Award and, you know, progress of art and all of that. And she was blitzed. She was completely blitzed. But the thing is, is she was so, she was so clear in that moment. And she spoke such truth into that conversation that these men, these grown men old enough to be her father were losing their minds. And she just got to the point where she got up and walked away. Wow. She was just like, "Uh, you're not going to listen to me. You're, you're perpetuating the the exact thing that we're trying not to do. And you're perpetuating this. Well, Tracy has evolved over time, but I, I believe if you look, she is a, uh, the drawing professor at the Royal Academy of Art and, England, which is a very prestigious position. She is, I believe, one of the first women to hold that position. Wow. There are several men artists that continually like to take a dump on her drawing skills and and holding that position. Now, I would argue that her drawing abilities are no worse than some of these great quote unquote male artists that are garnering fifty million dollars for their drawings. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the artist, but it's almost exactly like that. Now Tracy Emin can draw her face off. 
like ridiculously great artist. She's known as a painter, but she's a fantastic drawer. Now, she is devolved and stripped her drawing down into very rudimentary sketches that some people find off-putting because she's supposed to be the top of the top mm-hmm. and that's how she's drawing. Well, people didn't say anything to Picasso when he flipped the art world on his head by doing very rudimentary mm-hmm. uh cubism. You know, when we all know he could he could paint anything the best of uh, like arguably one of the best painters that ever lived. He was extremely talented. Um, but yeah, just to like, I would say she still fights that. Yeah. Uh, Jenny Savile, I think still fights that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's less vocal about it than Tracy is. Tracy has changed a lot since, uh, COVID. She was diagnosed with the same cancer that killed her mother. It's genetic apparently. That's rough. Um, they, they had to remove a lot of stuff in her. She can no longer swim, which is one of the things she loves the most. But she's had to evolve. She's, she's, for lack of a better phrase, she's mellowed out in her old age. Um, she's settled into her... I think she was a bit unhappy in her skin at certain points, but she was very transparent about who she was. And at a time in her life as a, a young adult, that's very hard to be transparent with people. She was talking to people about her abortions, her love interests. Like, she was putting it out there. She was brave. And people just kind of tried to poo-poo her into quietness. And luckily, they weren't able to do that. You know, she was loud enough as a, a young adult to say, no, I'm... I'm here, I'm loud, and you're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> like, if I was somebody else, mm-hmm. you'd be praising me. Like, that was one of the things she said on Channel 4. Like, I I sleep around. If I was a male artist, you guys would be praising me for being the macho man that, you know, <laughs> it's true. gets all the ladies. It's true, it's true. You know? Yep. She's like, so why is it bad for me to do that, you know? Like, we have such a bad double standard here, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's the the defense of femininity, I feel like, is both a obligation and (laughs) something that's that's not everyone wants to do who, you know, Mm -hmm. identifies as female. And it's, I don't know, it's it's tough. It's easy. Sorry, let me free. Restart. It's easy. It's easy to discard what feels feminine in order to reach the next step. Mm. And it's it's tough to mm. keep it with you and still achieve what you need to achieve um, to to pull your to pull your art forward. And I think that will mm. be tough for more generations to come. Even though it's a lot better sure. now than it was thirty years ago, and a lot sure. a lot better sure. than it was you know several hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have any quotes you want to read from the book? Mm, let me see here. If you have some, go ahead and start talking about them and I'll my, uh, the ones that I... My favorite quote is 
not really quote. It's just like a phrase that she <laughs> she's like casually tossed out, and it's um, calling people who are feminine artists my sisters of the palette, and I love that. And <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> should I stop calling my audience my friends and foes and start calling them sisters of the palette? <laughs> I've gathered you here today. <laughs> Sounds kind of witchy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Let's see. They're pretty good. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that there's any any in particular that have stood out. And that's fine. It's again, this essay is fairly short yeah. i mean for an essay it's long but yeah this is for a book it's fairly short i would recommend it i feel like there are yeah. some bits of this that you know if you're reading the original essay you're like okay some things are changed now that needed updating but then you read her her update to this and you're like okay that right. you know it comes together and um sure yeah i i'm gonna keep this book on my on my shelf i, I really enjoyed reading it and mm-hmm I don't know it's a it gets you it sets you alight it sets you it sets your brain into thinking and it sets you into a, a good place for for making art and it's it's a fun yeah. one because you know I I do think it's tough like applying for different shows and that kind of thing like some of this does come into play you know um when you get in and you have to go to receptions and interact with people, how do you carry yourself mm -hmm. as a female artist? Like, what do you wear? How do you talk? Who do you talk to? Um, you know, there's a million different things where I feel like men are nervous when they go into that situation. Sure. But they're not, they're not thinking about, oh, am I wearing the appropriate thing? Like, I don't think I know of very many males that really focus on something like that. It's like, oh, I wear nice slacks and a shirt, you know, easy peasy. Females have a million different things they could wear. And it's like, is it appropriate or not? What, um, what do you think about what is <laughs> now I need to know what is your uh, your best or having a show and it's the artist opening outfit. What are you wearing? Oh, God. It just depends. Like this show that I had in Columbus, it was a big one. You know, people from all over the state are there. Um, and I struggled with it. Like I asked advice from my friend who is, loves clothes. And I was just like, I ended up just wearing slacks and a nice shirt. Mm -hmm. um, it was cold that day too. So it was probably the smartest thing I could have done. But, uh, you know, I generally wear nice dress pants or in a top, a blouse of some sort. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge dress person. I don't really have any dresses that are dressy enough for something like that. Mm -hmm. Most of my dresses are, you know, fairly informal and and not appropriate for that that time. Yeah, I mean, and you can have fun with it. It can. can be fun. Like, it can be freeing as a female because you do have so many options. You can, like really dig in and have some fun with it i always think about i okay so like i have an artist opening coming up soon and i'm already thinking about mm -hmm. it this like a couple weeks in advance here i'm like okay i need to dress in a way that says 
I am the artist from like, if you like enter mm-hmm. the room and you're like wondering where the artist is and you've never met me, like you need to know immediately. So it needs to have like yeah. that bit of like audacity or I guess like yeah. sparkle to it or whatever, maybe not literal sparkle, but mm-hmm. you get it. And then it's like, okay, I want to be feminine, but not sexual. And that needs to happen. Right. And it needs to be professional. And it needs to look like I have some authority over what I'm doing. And I I think about those four things every single time. (laughs) Mm. And uh, getting that correct is not always easy. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think it's, it's knowing the audience too, but sometimes you can take risks. Like I think of Kennedy Yanko and I don't know if you know who she is, but Kennedy is this statuesque human being. Like, she she moved to New York City and became a personal trainer. She's extremely fit, mm. tall, beautiful. Like, there are fashion houses that hire her to be a model. She's that pretty. That's cool. And the stuff that she wears to openings is bonkers. Like... Like when you said, you know, not too sexual, I'm like, are you kidding me? You should see what Kennedy Yanko wears. <laughs> it's true. Like sometimes you're like, how did you get into that and keep it on? <laughs> like, <laughs> props to you. And like, I, I think she she owns it in a very graceful way too. Like, it's extremely overt and in your face, but whenever you would like come to talk to her, she's very kind and calm Mm -hmm. and very soft-spoken so it's it's it kind of sets you off kilter if you saw her like just to hear her talk and stuff you're like whoa hold on like what the heck (laughs) that's pretty cool (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean it can be that way it can be it can can be. be audacious if you really want to you know and it's fun i don't know but again we're thinking about presentation like how do you present yourself yeah matters so much more when you are more feminine. I, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's different. Overall, I'm giving this book five stars because I liked it a lot. Same. Yeah. Which same, is, same. Congratulations. Our first five star book read of the year, which is the first book of I the year. Know. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. No, I just, I, I just appreciated the way that the question was approached. Like, it started out like, oh, is this just going to be like beat the drum? Mm-hmm. Like every other like conversation we have about this with other people. And it's like, no, let's let's dig into it. Let's take yeah. the emotion out of it and let's look at it logically. I can see why it was like, referenced so much. How does this make sense? Yeah. 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 It's good. I kind of want to read more books by Linda Nochlin or more of her essays. Mm. Um, if mm-hmm. I find a good one, I'll let y'all know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts, or are you ready for the next book? Um, no, just read it. If you get the chance, read it. Just Find it and read, read it. it. It's it's worth the the. It may take you like maybe an hour to read it or whatever. It's only like twenty six pages long. It's not very long. Short and sweet. So mm-hmm. super good. All right. Well, that was why have there been no great women artists by Linda Nochlin, and our next book for February is by a, um, I thought, you know, I like to like lead each book into the next one. Um, and I thought, you know, we should just read a book by a man. I think it's time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. here is How to Be an Artist by Jerry Saltz, who is 
um, one of the great art writers of our time. And this book came out in 2020. This book is about, it's, it's an inspirational book. It has many, when I just like flip through it, Mm -hmm. we got lots of like photos and things. And I, uh, like lots of photos and things. (laughs) So I think it'll be, um, a little bit educational, a little bit art history related. Mm Mm-hmm. It's got um, 50 chapters and like four steps or something like that. I'm just flipping through really quick. It's short. It's sweet. Um, I think it's going to be good. I think I got this for Christmas and I just thought, you know, might as well put it on the docket. (laughs) And I I don't know. I feel like every time I hear about Jerry Saltz, I'm, I just like his advice. So I think, I think it'll be good. Um, it candy sized advice about many different topics. So that's what we're going to read for February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How to be, how to be an artist. If you want to join art book club for February, you should read the book and then talk about the book with us in the chat here on Twitch. <laughs> Cause it would be super mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> um, if you're looking to find more of brushwork podcast, it's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. We, record the podcast once a month here on Twitch um, with Jennifer Nomad. Uh, my name is Stephanie Scott. You can find me at stephaniescott.art. That's my website and my Instagram handle. And you can find Jennifer at visualnomad.art and visualnomad here on Twitch and visualnomad double underscore on Instagram. We love to see it. It's been really fun chatting about this book with you today, Jen. Mm-hmm. I think we did good. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good one. All right. Yeah. Friends and foes, make good choices. Have a good day. Until next time, see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. goodbye.